Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. We had a great series trailer video to show you and I and we're just having a little technical problems with it. I'll post it tomorrow and we'll show it next week, but I'm excited to show you cuz uh, Glenn Hunt uh, was the director, and uh, Glenn Robinson is made to look foolish, and so I really want you to see it. Um, in the meantime, as we kind of start into this new series called The Original Christmas Playlist, let me just um, ask you, um, uh, who by this point is already listening to Christmas music in their car, okay, in their car, at home, okay. Uh, how many would say they are maybe not Christmas music fans, or, yeah, we got, so you pass that on to your son, the worship pastor, okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, now, I know Glenn Hunt, you start in like August or thereabouts. You, you, you're all in, you are into Christmas. Favorite Christmas song, carol or secular, what, just shout it out for me. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. Heaven, holy oh, holy night. Good, white Christmas. Silent night. Santa baby. Yeah. You know, Madonna, Mary, it all, it all fits together. Um, it is pretty accepted science now, actually, that uh, music can be literally healing. We, we've seen the effects it can have on Alzheimer's patients, those with dementia. I, I, sh- I saw a study uh, that shows that music may even help with physical pain. Interestingly, in 2017, there was this British study that concluded uh, that that continuous playing of Christmas music in December, you know, that we hear in the cars, we hear in the malls, we hear just sort of as background noise. It it might not have the desired holly jolly effect on everybody. Uh, it, It actually might be subconsciously reminding people of all the things they need to do before holiday arrives. It's, it's creating a to-do list for some people. Um, and as familiar as we are with the songs of Christmas, there are four Christmas songs recorded in the Bible by people surrounding the birth of Jesus that aren't sung much these days. The angels sang a song to the shepherds. We know part of their song, Peace on earth, goodwill uh, towards men. Mary sang a song uh, to God after she got over the shock uh, of of finding out she was going to be the mother of the Savior. Uh, Simeon sang a song that uh, we'll talk about in a few weeks. And then there's Zechariah's song. Uh, It's interesting that our open mics had to do with losing your voice and infertility. 
This is a couple well acquainted with both of those. Zechariah was an elderly priest who was visited by an angel. Now, um, I'm going to give my personal opinion here, okay? This is, this is Jonathan talking. I'm going to create some allies, Team Jonathan, and I'm probably going to create some enemies, you know, of people who are wrong. And so here goes. <laughs> Musicals, stage, screen, whatever. Musicals are trash, okay? I can't... Oh, okay, good, good, good. Oh, no, Peter, stay, stay, stay. Hear me out. Now, ironically, my first realization that maybe I could carry a tune was in grade eight when I was cast as the artful dodger in, the, in Oliver. Consider yourself at home. Okay. But come on, musicals are horrible. I feel like... I feel like there are people who, on a road trip, do you put on like show tunes? And no, no, okay. I bet you, is, if Melissa's watching, is she the kind of person that, yes, I, I, I had her pegged. I know Melissa's watching, maybe not now, but later. She, she probably does whole road trips of show tunes. And, um, and I still love her. Uh, here's what it is for me. The idea of someone spontaneously bursting into song is so ridiculous, unrealistic to me. Oh, and where did this orchestra come from, by the way? Uh, But check this out. All the biblical stories that we're going to look at during this series are actual, real people who spontaneously burst into song. Christmas songs, really. And I mean, this is the closest the Bible gets to being a a Broadway musical. Except when I read it in Scripture, I don't think it's cheesy. I actually am quite moved by it all. What would make someone burst into song in real life? By the way, these aren't the traditional carols that you've come to know. These are, these are different songs, the original Christmas songs, you could say, that, that Scripture recorded, that the, the uh, early church um, created songs out of. They called them canticles. Now, just a little background. If you reach back into history, 400 years before the birth of Christ, um, you know, our Bible is divided into two sections. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Yeah, it was, it was too easy, right? Um, and, and here is how the Old Testament ends in Malachi. The last words written, chapter 4, verse 5 to 6. See, I will send you a prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. The end. That, that's how the Old Testament closes. That's how what people thought was the finished Bible closes. It's kind of a confusing, cryptic, disturbing, abrupt ending. Imagine if a movie just ended like, well, I can't imagine Dune just ended like that. It's not really the way you want to end a book unless unless you're planning to write a sequel. Elijah was probably the most 
famous of the Old Testament prophets. He was relentless in calling God's people to turn away from, from their sin toward the one true God. And he stood up to evil rulers and he never tried to sugarcoat his words. Now, Elijah had died hundreds of years before the time of this passage. And so is the, is the book of Malachi talking about some reincarnation, some resurrection? Many in, in Jesus' day actually believe that scripture implied that Elijah would come back from the dead. And so we're kind of left hanging, left waiting, left wondering. Well, after the prophet Malachi penned those words, there were no more prophets. There was no more written revelations from God. There was silence for a long time. Does anybody know how long? 400 years. That's how much time elapsed between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of what we call this new covenant. Uh, 400 years. I, if I have to wait that long for the Dune sequel, I'm, I'm going to be choked. Now think about how long 400 years is. That would take us back to 1621. Think of how much has changed in that time. 400 years of silence. We don't do great with silence, do we? Have you ever been in a small group praying and there's like 30 seconds of silence? It feels like an eternity. It's like, are we supposed to go in a circle here? Is someone supposed to wrap this up? Is it my turn? I got nothing. Uh, have you ever prayed and prayed and prayed about a struggle in your life? And as best you could tell, it felt like God was silent. I know people in our church in this season right now, and I'll bet they have felt like God is silent. Um, I think most of us have experienced that, that feeling of, where are you, God? When are we going to hear from you? But for God to be silent for 400 years, what was that about? Generations went by without a fresh word from God. Now, true, Israel had the law of Moses. They had the words of the prophets. But only a few by this point had, have, had given themselves to understanding those words and those promises. Only a few were willing to wait their entire lives if necessary to hear from God. It's helpful to try and envision things, though, from God's perspective. Um, it seemed like God was silent from our perspective. But that doesn't mean he had stopped working on behalf of humankind. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters. God acted when the time had fully come. Uh, when everything was ready and prepared, God was silently but actively intentionally preparing the world stage for this coming of a savior. What if we even looked at history through, through that lens that God was in fact active and sovereign and not distant, but involved, silent, but at work. 
you know, from, from 356 to 323 BC, there was this man known as Alexander the Great, and he was in power. And if we believe the Bible that God appoints and removes kings and leaders, then maybe you'd, you'd believe that God was actually orchestrating this, this season. So as Alexander took his army around the Mediterranean region, he set up cities and libraries for the purpose of spreading the Greek culture, uh, the Greek language. And by the time Rome came to power, Greek was the language of, of commerce and of education. And this influence led to the translation of the Old Testament into Greek, which, which uh, scholars today call the Septuagint. Gentiles were able to become acquainted with the principles of, of Judaism. And later, when the biographies of Jesus and, and letters of instruction for the early church were written, they were written in Greek. Alexander the Great believed he was on a divine mission. And now there's no evidence that, that he personally knew the one true God. But could it be that in God's so-called silence... God was preparing for Christmas. You know, when Rome came to power, one of the lasting legacies was a system of, of roads going throughout the empire. You may have heard that phrase, all roads lead to Rome. Well, along with this unified empire came new, unprecedented freedom to move from one Roman province to another. Could it be that in the so-called silence, God was preparing for Christmas, preparing for the mass communication of the gospel. It's amazing what just a little change of perspective can bring. You know, to the Jewish nation, it looked like God had abandoned them. But could we see from this side of history that God was very much at work, that God was um, preparing the world, setting the stage for his, for his greatest work, the coming of his son. Okay, so we'll move ahead. That's all context for the first miraculous Christmas song. Because finally, after 400 years of silence, when everything was ready, God spoke again through an angel. The word angel means messenger. Now, check this out. When the angel spoke, it's like he picked up right where Malachi left off. 400 years earlier, okay? So Zechariah and his wife were going to have a baby. John, yes, that John, last name, the Baptist, right? Uh, cousin of Jesus, that John. And that baby was the very one that Malachi promised would come, a powerful, influential prophet who would be like Elijah. In fact, if you read further in the story about John, he even dressed like Elijah, camel hair coat and a leather belt around his waist. He looked like Furiosa from the Mad Max. And Elijah um, called his people to repentance back in the day. And that's what John did in this new covenant. He, he didn't mince words. He called the religious leaders to, of that day, a, a brood of vipers, uh, you know, a bunch of snakes. Now, as a priest himself, 
one of the rare good ones of the time, you might say. Zechariah was probably one of the few people uh, who understood the Old Testament scriptures well enough to make that connection between John and Elijah. But despite Zechariah's awareness that God was at work, that God was sovereign, that God was a miracle-working God, the news that he and his wife were going to have a baby at their age was pretty heavy. You know, you could say in terms of, of his age, like Zechariah had one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel, right? He was, he was up there. And there are a couple of instances in the Bible of God granting children to people well past their childbearing years. Abraham and Sarah are an example. And you really can't blame Zechariah for asking in verse 18, like, are you sure about this, Gabriel? Uh, like, I'm an old man and my wife is not a spring chicken. And the response of Zechariah's skepticism, this is what the angel said. But now, since you don't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Was Zechariah being punished? Um, that doesn't seem fair. We, we just finished a whole series where I advocate that God can handle our skepticism, our, our wrestle. Um, so I, I'm not sure that the silencing of Zechariah was about punishment. Maybe in the silence, God was building something in Zechariah, growing something in him, um, transforming him. God maybe was actually preparing Zechariah for Christmas. And I do find it interesting that even though these precious people who had lived with such disappointment, maybe even shame in the midst of of an era where, you know, your legacy, your children um, were were considered such a a blessing, um, they were called upright. In God's eyes. They were blameless. They were good people, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Not rebellious, but it is a, their story is a reminder to me, and maybe hopefully to you as well, that we don't do any favors by underestimating God, what he can do. Uh, I kind of wish that they had recorded the conversation uh, that went when he you know, went back home to his wife. He couldn't speak. Did they play charades? You know, the first word, angel. Like, uh, I don't know how common paper and writing implements would have been. Maybe he wrote in the sand. Can you imagine Elizabeth's response? The angel said, what? (laughs) And so now you want to what? (laughs) I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not being crass here, but Throughout history, husbands have been known to come up with some creative ways to be intimate. Uh, But this one seems suspicious. Uh, So here's what the Bible says in Luke 1.24. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Was she self-conscious? Was it too hard to explain? Of course it was. And I'll bet during that time when he couldn't speak Zechariah would have poured over the scriptures, trying to understand what was happening. He, 
He would have spent long hours in prayer, um, contemplating, meditating over what the angel had said and what role his son would have. Why name him John, for instance? Well, one of the clues might be is that John means gift from God. John was obviously the one that Malachi had predicted, but was that all? Was he just another prophet, another prophet who was going to be ignored like all the other ones? No, the more Zechariah was silent, the more he thought about the last thing the angel said, and he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The Lord. The Lord was the angel talking about the Messiah, the chosen one, the Savior, the one that we had waited for since the beginning of time. At some point, I bet it all came into focus for Zechariah. And in the silence, God had prepared him to understand a bigger picture than just a miraculous birth to an elderly couple. And so Elizabeth gives birth to John, and it happens. The Bible says, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue was set free. And just like those cheesy musicals, he couldn't contain it anymore. And he bursts into song, except he wasn't filled with, you know, chutzpah or vim and vigor or whatever. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what he sang. I think I, I wrote this uh, or copied this from the message translation, a little more poetic. This is what he, what he sang. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He came and set his people free. He set the power of salvation in the center of our lives. And in the very house of David, his servant, just as he promised long ago, through the preaching of his holy prophets, deliverance from our enemies and every hateful hand. Picture a melody with this, you know. Maybe it rhymed. I don't know. Mercy to our fathers as he remembers to do what he said he'd do, what he swore to our father Abraham, a clean rescue from the enemy camp so we can worship him without a care in the world, made holy before him as long as we live. And you, my child, prophet of the highest, will go ahead of the master to prepare his ways, present the offer of salvation to his people, the forgiveness of their sins, through the heartfelt mercies of our God, God's sunrise will break upon us, shining on those in the darkness, those sitting in the shadow of death, then showing us the way one foot at a time down the path of peace. This is not your typical verse course bridge kind of song. It, it, it was a spontaneous song, a song he couldn't contain in his spirit anymore, a song that was bursting to get out. It was a song of faith. And interestingly, uh, Zechariah sang mostly not about his own son, but about another baby who would soon be born to a distant relative of his wife. And it's not until verse 76 that he addresses his own son, uh, the role that he would play in this event we call Christmas. Little baby, John would grow up to be a, a herald, a, a, a messenger to prepare the people for this coming king. After 400 years without a prophet, people had to be awakened from their spiritual slumber. Don't you feel sometimes like Canadians need to be awakened from their spiritual slumber? 
remember their, the old stories, remember that they had the promises of God sustaining them. They had to get right with God. And, and it was through John's life work that God was serving notice to the world that our wait was over, that God's eternal plan for redemption was here. It's a beautiful song that Zechariah gave, and there's several pictures that symbolize the, the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Look what he covers in this song. Our purchase from slavery, in verse 68. Our deliverance from danger, in verse 74. Our forgiveness of debt, verse 77. The dawning of a new age. Uh, salvation that is ours. This this was the first song of the first Christmas. And listen, folks, even in apparent silence, even in the most uncertain time that I've personally ever lived in, um, even in the midst of not knowing for absolute certainty if we can gather on Christmas Eve due to COVID numbers and variants, and in the midst of all that, God is preparing you. He's preparing me for Christmas. He's not preparing us for the holiday of Christmas and all the planning and the buying and the decorating that comes with it. But he's preparing us for the reality of Christmas, that Jesus is God with us. Man, that ought to be enough for us to burst into song, right? Knack, when it feels like God is silent. It, it helps to read of others who have gone before us. It helps to remember that although God didn't make himself evident for 400 years, he was at work the whole time preparing the way. God will redeem your waiting. God will redeem what seems like silence in your life. I believe that. Scripture says that God will Restore the years that the locusts have eaten. For the faithful this morning, um, he will redeem that time of loneliness, that time of unknown that we call COVID, whether you've been crying out for the salvation of someone you love or the restoration of your health, or maybe for someone else, a child, a parent, for an end to the financial hardship that you've been under, for the stress, for the mental strain of life to ease up, God is still working even when you can't see the evidence of it. Do you believe it? This is the essence of faith that Hebrews 11 talks about, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Lord, I believe... Help my unbelief. This Christmas, in spite of what may seem to you like silence, sing a song of faith. Uh, sing a song like Zechariah's. A song um, of the faithful. Come and adore him. Give him the glory. Christ is the Lord.